Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And welcome, boys. We're all here except for Duck, <laughs> who's not here all summer. Yep. But instead, we've got someone who has fought with Doug many times, but not on this podcast. <laughs> Back in it's Nome. Mike. It's Mike. Hello. Hi Mike. Hi, Mike. I wonder if I have fought Doug on this podcast. I've only been on a few times, but it tends to happen. Oh, wait, no, y'all did fight about um, the Snyder Cut. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because uh, he watched it on his phone. <laughs> I, I have to maintain my antagonistic relationship with Doug at all times. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yes, Mike, thank you for uh, being on with us. Uh, yeah. We're talking about a, a, a favorite film of yours. We are. <laughs> Wow, a favorite film. <laughs> What's the film? <laughs> the film is Gone Girl. Thank you for that that lovely setup. Yeah, uh, uh, David Fincher's Gone Girl. Information? David uh, not, I'll do that real quick. Okay. Yes. Uh, we watched 2014's Gone Girl, uh, as Mike said, directed by David Fincher, starring Ben Affleck, uh, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, uh, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, Patrick Fugit, a uh, whole bunch of other folks. Um, as far as ratings go, uh, it's got an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes in both the audience and the critic score. Uh, 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, 79 on Metas- or Metacritic. Uh, and for your weekly just out there rating, it's got a 1.5 out of 5 on parent previews. Ah, uh, the makes toughest sense. of critics. Yes, of course. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so Tyler Perry. <laughs> yes, Tyler Who thought Perry. he would be in this movie. Hometown hero. I've only seen him in the funny movies <laughs> where I've he plays seen him in the, the media movies. He, every once in a while, apparently, he likes to do this. He's talked about it. He's like, I just feel like acting sometimes. I'm tired of making things and owning a former military base. Uh, yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. So, uh, other than Mike, has anyone seen this before? Nope. Right. No, but. You know I'm really good friends with Mike, and for many years he's talked about this movie. Um, so I'm kind of surprised I have not seen this movie yet, but I'm glad I have now. Well, uh, Mike, why don't you uh, tell us about your experience with this movie, and uh, I guess a little bit broader with David Fincher. Sure thing. Well, um, I've always kind of been a big Dave Fincher fan, not in the Fight Club sense, but more in the social network sense which makes a little more sense when you're kind of familiar with David Fincher's discography. Um, he, he's kind of a pretty prolific director. He's, he's kind of made his mark as kind of a cerebral, uh, more gritty kind of director, very cynical, very cold films. Um, films such as Seven, Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, of course, The Social Network. And um, I, I had just been a fan. And I think at the time I was quite literally in film school and it was coming out. So everyone in film club, was just going up and down about it so of course i had to go watch it and after that uh i just i just loved this film uh the author of the book that this film was based off of uh jillian flynn i went back and read some of her books including this one and um i've just always kind of appreciated this film for being essentially uh the epitome of an anti-date movie (laughs) love a good anti-date movie (laughs) Gotta love that sort of thing. What are some other good anti-date movies? Or bad mm. anti-date movies? What is an anti-date movie? Perhaps something so incredibly sad, there's no reason to watch it on a date. Like, I don't know, The Boy with the Striped Pajamas would probably be oh. a pretty pretty up there anti-date movie. Uh, Schindler's List? Sure, yeah. sure. But, but you said this one specifically. 
And I yes. guess it's because it's about a marriage. Yes, this this film is is a very perverse take on a marriage. It's kind of half thriller, half like farce sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it follows Nick and Amy Dunn. Uh, Amy goes missing. And people slowly start to suspect Nick. And as an audience member, you start to suspect Nick. And then it goes on several different wavelengths and twists and turns. And it ultimately seems to end with the, uh, the mantra of marriage is bad and you should feel bad and we use each other forever. Have a nice life. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's about it. That's an anti-date movie one. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I've only seen a couple other David Fincher films. I've seen Fight Club and I've seen Zodiac. Uh, I feel like this is probably more akin to Zodiac, but um, how, Mike, how do you feel like this fits into the David Fincher filmography? It, it's interesting because um, a lot of Fincher's films are kind of before and after The Social Network, which has kind of been like retroactively spe- uh, seen as a seminal work. I believe after this you have to check me i think there was the girl with the dragon tattoo and then this if i am remembering it correctly um but this is definitely solidly in the post social network film era where he he really hammered down on the the more serious stuff and i think after this he took a break before he came back with uh mank recently so this film slots in pretty well with the zodiacs and the sevens this this fits right in this this is not very tonally different than any of that. And uh, you were correct that uh, this had okay. come after the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, and that's another kind of thriller, uh, murder esque mystery sort of thing. So uh, he he has a tone and he sticks with it. That mm-hmm. that is David Fincher. <laughs> All right, uh, Tristan Elijah, what experience do you have with David Fincher? Fight Club, and that's it. All right, um, I've seen. The social network. I'm watching it next week with you guys, and then I'm going to duck out before the podcast because I'm not going to have anything to say. <laughs> you say that, words right but yeah, I could I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. movies about um, you know the great American innovators usually bore me. That's why I'm predicting I won't like it. Uh, I I would say hold hold your breath a little bit on that one. See how <laughs> you right. feel about it. I, might... I will say this this film is one of my favorites, but the social network I think is my favorite Fincher film. Well, you might be right. I'm definitely interested to see it. Um, what what movie do, are you thinking of when you say that, Elijah? Is it is it jo- is it Steve Jobs? Uh, is it Jobs? Stuff like that <laughs> bores me. Yeah, like the founder like that. that came out recently. I watched a trailer for a movie about the guy who started McDonald's, and they tried so hard to make that seem exciting, and I was like, no, thank you. Ah. <laughs> uh... This is more like a, a character analysis rather than um, a biography, I guess. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll tie it in a little bit with, with Gone Girl. Um, Fincher likes to kind of break down the motivations of different people. Typically, I'd say pairings between two or maybe a few people, but typically two people. <laughs> and like The Social Network, this film is kind of an examination of, of two people, their relationship. And while there are other characters, um, this film centers on Amy and... Um, Amy and Nick Dunn versus you have the social network, which is Eduardo Saverin and Mark Zuckerberg. So both films are kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the social network is much more intimate and kind of about that one relationship. This is more um, just making statements on marriage as a whole, mostly negative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and it's, I did. 
sorry, I, I looked it up because I was curious. Like, is Jillian Flynn married? And she is. She was married for a few <laughs> years before this came out, and she is still married to the same guy. Oh, okay. Everything seems okay, but the, I've, after seeing Gone Girl, I'm wondering if somebody needs to check on those two. <laughs> I, I would Let's also be if, equally uh, concerned. Missing uh, for a few weeks. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Uh. So uh, talking about the like how this movie is uh, set up, Mike, you talked about how uh, David Fincher likes to focus on like two characters in his movies, and in this movie you've got Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck and uh, Rosamund Pike who are playing this married couple who are not doing too hot at this whole marriage thing. Um, nah, but I feel like throughout this movie, uh, the way that it is set up, uh, I don't know that I've ever actually seen a movie split up its acts so well like it it feels like it could almost be different movies the way that it's set up yeah i I think this film could be a theatrical production and there's a really good intermission Mm -hmm. kind of slot that you can you can squeeze in and i think that's what's kind of cool about this movie is um and you got to think this was based off of a typical paperback thriller like that's kind of the general thing that Jillian Flynn is really known for and her other films her other novels excuse me are like that and uh yeah about I think it's an hour in to Gone Girl the movie um you have that big twist that's supposed to you know keep you reading and then it keeps you watching because it's like you think the movie's gonna be two and a half hours of this but it is not mm-hmm. we're going on different directions yeah which really gives Rosamund Pike a chance to just really shine I think she got an Oscar nomination for this I did not check for that, uh, but I will. Okay, and while while we're checking on that, somebody summarize the plot. <laughs> I got it. Hey, Tristan, before you get started, uh, I did get it pulled up, and uh, Rosamund Pike was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in this movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it was also nominated for several Golden Globes, but it did not win a single award. Unfortunate, but kind of oh, kind of like or at least among the Oscars and the Golden Globes, it won some other random stuff. It's further down mm-hmm. the list, but anyway, trust me. What happens yeah. in this movie? Sure thing. So you got a married couple. You've got Nick Dunn. You've got Amy Dunn. Bad marriage used to be good, I guess. It started okay. Uh, I don't know if I would say that's an okay marriage, but whatever. Um, uh, it goes south after a year or so. It's somewhat vague. Six months to a year, something like that. Um, not that long. Uh, and what happens is basically you've got, um, this isn't revealed to us later, uh, but um, Amy, she uh, stages a, a murder. She, she makes it look like that he murdered her, but she actually leaves. Um, and through a whole series of events, it, it turns out that um, that's what happened. Um, and there's another thing at the end that I kind of just don't even want to say because it's um, <laughs> you should just watch it and not hear me say it. Um, but eventually she she comes back to Nick at the end of the movie. Um, and there's like they're almost now cemented in this weird relationship where they have to at least one of them has to keep up these appearances. Um, it's unclear that both of them do or not. It's a little weird. It's, I know that's vague, but I mean, it's hard to explain. I, I think you can kind of summarize it with 
you've got act one of the film, which is the audience learning more about Nick Dunn trying to uncover cover whether or not he killed Amy because you don't actually know as an audience member while you learn a little bit about Amy via flashback. And then act two is Nick knowing he didn't kill her. And now we know he didn't kill her um, working to either try to get her back or clear his name while Amy works on um, it, it's vague. They keep it vague, but she's generally working on how to spin everything in her favor because once she goes on the road, things don't things don't really go her way. Uh, she kind of loses control of things, and she has to get back on track. So that's kind of I'd say the two halves of the movie. And she she does get back on track through a, a series of extremely uncomfortable events to watch. And then yes, they they are together in unholy matrimony. Yeah, a series of uncomfortable uncomfortable events. events. I feel like that should be the name of this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There were several points where I literally was just like at the screen. I was just like oh, holding same, my hand same. up, like I don't even yeah. want to see this happen. So yeah, so the events Tristan described that was chronological order. That's not what we get in the movie, though. This is one of those time is our plaything kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say it jumps um, back and forth between present day and the beginning of their relationship, and kind of plays around like with the present day timeline going back and. Forth. Like we get um, Ben Affleck's side of the story and then we get to a point we get Rosamund Pike's side of the story and then more towards the end it becomes a little bit more linear. Yeah, that's true. Um, And particularly the first half of the movie is littered with these journal entries from Amy, narrated by Amy. Um, And halfway through the movie, when the first big reveal happens... Uh, you realize you've been hearing from an unreliable narrator this whole time. Those are um, constructs that she came up with to help her uh, make her getaway. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a gutting moment. At least it was for me on my first watch. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, most of what I thought was happening in this movie is not true at all. Yeah, that was yeah. a big waste. Now I hadn't seen this movie before but I've talked about movies that I like that have plot twists in them. And anytime I start a conversation like that with people, somebody says, Oh, have you seen gone girl? And then I'm like, no. So I went into watching gone girl, knowing to look for plot twists and just be ready for those. Mm -hmm. Um, So I picked up on all the little hints and I, when the, when that reveal happened halfway through and you realize that she is, in fact, alive. She staged the whole thing to make it look like Nick murdered her. I totally saw that coming, totally predicted it, because I went into this movie prepared after all those conversations <laughs> when people warned me there was a plot twist. I picked up on all those little things. But after that point, there were still some surprises yet to come. And I kind of thought there would be. Um, this movie, is it's got some twists and turns in it. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's it's a true paperback thriller. Uh, things just go left, right, and center the entire time, and especially towards the kind of the back half, right before Amy comes back. Uh, it's funny because we're talking about it, it, it vaguely, not because we're afraid of spoilers, but because it's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. The the method she uses to to get back uh, to Nick, mm-hmm. um, but once she she successfully pulls it off the whole time, you're just like, this has been a ride. This yeah. has been this has been uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but fun. I, I, this movie is uncomfortable, but fun is, is the way I would describe it. I think that's it's accurate. exciting. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it is. It, it does its job as a thriller. 
Oh yeah, it, it really kept me engaged. Yeah, I'd say uh, there was actually one point uh, I was watching the movie and um, like the first twist had already come and uh, Elijah watched it before the rest of us did and it mentioned uh, that he didn't see the other plot twist coming. So I was sitting there trying to think, okay, what's this other plot twist going to be? So at one point uh, I had thought that uh, they were both in on it together uh, because Ben Affleck's character had made some comment about being a con artist. So that kind of got my brain ticking. Like, are they con artists? But uh, no, it did I, not end up being true. But I, yeah. I, I thought what 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 kind of gave it away for me, I guess, were the clues set out in in envelopes. Like to me, that just reeked of she's trying to set something up. Like yeah. that's that's what that told me. And pretty much immediately, I was like, well, she's not dead. She's just trying to do this. And she's setting this up. I mean, this is just all too convenient. He didn't kill her. Um, so I guess I'm not saying I'm high and mighty. It's just that's where I was with it. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but it, yeah. by the end, when she came, actually came back to him at the end, that's when I was like, oh, did not see that one. coming." Yeah. Right. Yep. You, you had messaged me uh, while we were watching this and you were like, oh, he's going to she's going to kill him. Like that's that's going to be the thing. And it's yeah, like, I, did, nope, I worse. did think that would happen up till the very end, <laughs> up to the last shot. I thought she's going to kill him. Yeah, but no, yeah. she she orchestrated it in such a way that she got everything she wanted, including him. And it's just it's such a bad guy wins moment. And, and we could talk about whether or not Amy Dunn is a is a bad character or a bad guy. I'd say she's definitely say a bad is... human. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's also a big different differentiation between bad guy and bad character. Yeah, right. It's a character, incredibly. Right. Oh yeah. I, and I mean, I think if if you had to name a protagonist of the story, it would have to be Nick, just because that's who we're introduced to first and who we begin to sympathize with first. He's a pretty bad guy, honestly. Um, he seems to recognize that that towards the end. Um, but anyway, if you recognize him as the protagonist whose story we're following here, that does make her the antagonist. Um, and she's certainly not a good person. <laughs> That's an important part of what's going on. Uh, but um, I don't know. I think I might. Uh, I mean, you you may convince me I'm wrong, but I might put forward that she's the antagonist, but not the villain, so to speak. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily a quote unquote villain yeah um, yeah i don't think it's there's a villain she's definitely the antagonist yeah uh, like nick is the protagonist amy is the antagonist but what's but interesting they're all about horrible amy, people yeah, yeah. And, and they're all horrible amy's more horrible but like well they're, it, they're understandably terrible characters and it's a very like game of thrones-esque no right no wrong kind of deal mm-hmm. i think his sister's good that's about yeah margo's you know great yeah yeah she she was a good, decent person, and she got dragged into their mess, and she did not deserve it. Yeah, and I she also still feel stood like up for him. Yeah, I feel like the police officer, the uh, main one that was investigating, was yeah. also she was trying, honest. She yeah. was trying to do her job, right? And do it diligently, because yeah. yeah. I mean, she didn't fold immediately and arrest Nick. And once she, uh, once Amy came back, like she wanted to do what she could to. Uh, arrest amy even though there wasn't really anything she could do since 
uh, federal investigators had taken it over. Yeah. Yeah. So this doesn't seem like a story with no good people in it, but just Nick, mostly bad people. Nick is not a super decent guy. Amy is, you know, a, a, <laughs> a horrible person. She's incredibly manipulative. Um, and Desi's not a good guy either. You know, no. he's yeah. selfish and he doesn't really care. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. It's... The thing that's so interesting to me, and I think what kind of makes this movie is that Amy Dunn is one of the one of my favorite characters ever put to film, honestly, because you have a you have a person who's had their entire childhood taken from them and commodified for the masses. And you, you have someone that's raised wealthy in, in this situation to where yeah, there's a perfect idealized version of herself that is being sold for profit by her own parents the entire time. And she just gets, gets kind of this weird diluted. Um, it, it's interesting sidebar. The uh, Gen Z seems to have a term for this. It's main character syndrome. Like they all call it like being thinking you're the main character. And I thought that was interesting, but that's a good way to encapsulate it. She thinks of herself, I think as the main character of life, she's a hyper narcissist and you, you have a character that is willing to do anything to get the ends that she thinks that she deserves. Um, of course, lie, cheat, steal, but like terrible things implicate somebody um, in, into like a crime, possibly get Nick executed, um, stage uh, a rape, like and kill someone at the end of the day yeah. in order to achieve her ends. And mm. it's not necessarily because she's psychotic or evil. I mean, I'm sure a therapist would have a fun time with her. I'm not going to diagnose her. But the thing is, like, she and she wins. Like, she's such an interesting character to watch because her motivations are just her self-interest and her self-betterment by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, she she stages, you mentioned stages rape and another character suggests that she's already done that and she also stages a murder um so she's doing and she's manipulative in conversation and things like that and so obviously she's not a decent person she's treating people terribly to get her way but it's also worth noting at least from a meta perspective um that a lot of terrible things have happened to her too and that's part of you know, that's that's part of the story. I think that's an important part of the story that Gone Girl is telling. Um, yeah. You mentioned the cool girl monologue. And as I was, you know, glancing through Wikipedia page, like I always do, that was a thing that was mentioned in particular is her cool girl monologue. Um, and that was a really gripping part of the movie. It comes right after it's revealed that Amy's still alive. Um, and that was really powerful. I mean, I kind of ate that up it was really interesting it's excellent and it's also because it's it's true it's like when the person you dislike makes a good point and yeah <laughs> it kind of it makes you feel gross but it's also like that's true and and she has this entire monologue what eliza's referring to is her it, she could say it better than me go look it up i'm gonna butcher it but generally speaking she's trying to explain that the the idealized perfect woman kind of from the perspective of men is, is a farce, is a big lie. And uh, she talks about how like men say they want a cool girl. That's not real. What, what they're asking for is not real. It's just something that women pretend to be in order to get through the courtship phase of a relationship. And her, her explanation of it 
and, and just teardown of it is so enthralling to watch because she's simultaneously orchestrating her escape from this marriage. And you feel bad because she was in a bad marriage. She was cheated on that. That did happen. Like regardless of her own faults as a human, she had also been mistreated. And that's what makes her interesting and simultaneously what makes Nick interesting because you want to defend him, but he does also to a lesser extent, but also morally so they're all bad things. people who do bad things. Yeah. yeah. And that's why Ben Affleck is such a good choice. Right. And things, things happen to all of these characters that they don't deserve. None of them are good people. Um, But that doesn't mean they deserve to be murdered or cheated on. You know, nobody deserves all those things. Yeah, man. But Ben Affleck though, good choice. Good choice for Nick Dunn. Because people hate Ben Affleck. I don't know why. Why do you think he was such a good choice? Because, well, like I just said, people seem to hate Ben Affleck. And I don't know if you guys have, have seen that, but like if you Google Ben Affleck, people just hate the guy. They just don't like him. And I think, actually, I know because I saw David Fincher talk about it. He said, I cast Ben Affleck on purpose because he rubs people the wrong way and he would be a really good fit for someone that people would gang up on. And he wanted someone that people would feel like they are willing to gang up on in the early kind of first half of the film. Interesting. Yeah. Plus he's just a great actor. And I feel like Ben Affleck is, is kind of underappreciated. <laughs> he does. Good. I, from what little I've seen him in have never really found him remarkable. <laughs> um, but you know, I like I, Batman. I didn't. <laughs> you didn't like Batfleck? No, I did not like Batfleck. Um, yeah. I liked he, his Batman and Batman versus Superman until the end. I mean, say that. Uh, yeah, he, and then yeah. I also liked him better um, in the Snyder Cut. Than, he was yeah. excellent in Good Will Hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I watched Good Will Hunting once, and the actor I remember the least in that movie was Ben Affleck. So that's kind of just, you know, I just like don't find him that remarkable. He also, I mean, he he also didn't film. Yeah. yeah. He, and he, he didn't what? play a massive role in that film. No. Okay. Oh, he, he co-wrote Good Will Hunting, by the way. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember yeah. that, uh, reading say, that. You remember Good Will Hunting for Matt Damon and uh, Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Yeah. yeah. You don't remember for Ben Affleck. <laughs> or uh, isn't Casey Affleck in that movie too? He is. Yeah. He's the one that says Wicked Smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And how about Rosamund Pike in this movie? Oh, man. Incredible. It, it's She's such a great actress because nobody seems to know her like Mm -hmm. she did want she was a bond girl as they say in die another day and that was kind of her big break and then after that like people hadn't heard much about her she's in a really good film called the world's end uh from edgar um edgar wright i believe and uh, she just destroys this film amazing (laughs) and then goes right back to kind of being unknown um yeah she also defines the uh, 2005 version of pride and prejudice ah, right yeah. that's that's what i saw her in and i actually saw that movie recently for the first time um and and so this was only the second exposure i'd had to rosamund pike and it was so different so i've come <laughs> to the conclusion after seeing her in two movies that she's a versatile actress hmm. um uh, she, and she kills us and I was actually ready to come on this episode and talk about how much I liked her voice 
and that her voiceovers reading the journal entries were so effective and enthralling uh, and a cool girl monologue. And then we got that message from Tristan today that said she sounds like she needs to clear her throat approximately 80% of the time. <laughs> it's like, I, I love her delivery, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't say it was, that doesn't mean it was bad. I thought it was fine. I just, I just, it, that was the first thing I thought when I heard her voice. I was like, she's just, <clears throat> she's just give me one of those real quick and maybe she'll, because it just sounded like she was, you know, you never know, you're, you know, you're just speaking through like a, like a film or something, you know, it's like kind of sound like that, like a phlegm or something. Like phlegm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that from her. <laughs> Neither did I. Oh, well, I'm just built different. So yeah, All maybe right. so. <laughs> uh, but what she, what I did get uh, from her uh, at the beginning of the film, um, she does a good job of selling um, that she's this empathetic character. Like it is so believable that in the first half of the film, the voiceover that she's doing, you would never think that she's not a reliable narrator until the twist. And then you're like, Oh, and that's one thing that this movie does have in common with the only other David Fincher film I've seen fight club. Uh, Use of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Fight club has a plot twist at the end where you realize you've been dealing with an unreliable narrator this whole time. Mm -hmm. And gone girl does the same thing, except the reveal is halfway through, which is a little bit, uh you know maybe even more surprising to to hit them with the plot twist halfway through instead of saving it for the end maybe it's, i'm wrong yeah i mean it's very are, good there's another plot twist yeah yeah has several yeah there's there's a there's a show a very very popular anime show called death note and i'm, I'm going to be very vague because i don't want to ruin anything but it's also similar in that it it has a twist but it's a lot earlier than you expect and i think there's an art to that I think there's this payoff where everyone's like, oh, yeah, I, c- I could have saw that coming or, oh, that's interesting. And then you're like, wait, there is so much more content to get through. <laughs> there's so much, where are we going and now? And, and I think that's what's kind of ingenious about doing that. Um, Knives Out does that pretty well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I still haven't seen phenomenal that. Movie. Yeah, they, they, they do something similar to where it's like, oh, we're off-roading now is what I call it. It's like, oh, we're going off-road. Okay. We are not doing what you think we're doing. Yeah, I, I got to see Knives Out. It's a great film. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, another thing I love about Rosamund Pike, at the same time, while she's good at being able to draw that empathy, as soon as you learn that she's not a reliable narrator, it completely flips on its head, and everything she does makes you feel gross and sad inside. Exactly. <laughs> yes, she does it very well. Yeah. Well, it's also uh, there's this one scene, and uh, may, maybe. Mike, maybe you picked up on it. I know you've seen this movie a lot. It's, um, I think it's towards the end where she is making crepes in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he walks downstairs and sees her. And it's, it's almost, it's like a, I guess it's a rack focus, but it's very, very small. And it's like, it's him walking towards the kitchen and it just looks like he's entering some sort of uh, just made me think of this. It just looks like he's entering a different world when he's walking towards the kitchen and yeah. maybe you go back and watch it, but it's like the way she's standing with the cat, with the food, with the apron hair, all like everything. It's just like now, like, and after we've seen what she's done and we'd know the whole movie we're towards the end. It's like, now we're dealing with, like a, a sociopath here 
Yeah. Very yeah. clearly. Tristan, I like that you said it's like he's entering another world because I think yeah. that's the point. He's entering the illusion of happiness that she now wants to project to the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole thing she set up offering him a crepe in the morning. He walks into that. He's in the illusion. Yeah. And that yeah. that's what I think scares him the most is, well, he, he, he knows what she's capable of at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he expects her to keep up the front in front of people. I don't think he was ever expecting her to keep up the front to him privately when there's no audience and he's the only one there. Yeah. And yeah, they, they do play with the rack focus a lot and with the music to just really give you that sense of unease and, and discomfort. And I think this film is really masterful at that. There are certain scenes like with um, right when Amy's also run away and she needs to simulate domestic violence and she takes a hammer to her, her face just rubbed me so the wrong way. Oh yeah. <laughs> it is so hard to watch scenes like that. Yeah. So between that and the Desi murder scene, like yeah. there were some parts that were, I don't know if gratuitous is the right word, but I had to turn away. It was, the, it was a lot. Yeah. And the scene right before that murder when she's staging the rape, the things yeah. she goes through to make that seem real, yeah, the whole thing are is horrifying. Just... Yeah. Yeah. And it's what makes you realize that Amy will quite literally do anything. It does not matter. And even if it means simulating the most gruesome aspects of sexual assault, she will do it. And she does it while staring herself in the mirror, which is yeah. so unnerving. Oh, and, yeah. And of course, you have the you have the scene where she is um like, like I guess the polite way to, to say it is, is she commits a murder in the middle of a sexual encounter and it's every it's so uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because it's violent, because you can do violence. Um, I wasn't on the Hateful Eight episode. I hope you guys talked about excessive violence on there. Did, but yeah. generally good because this film is the opposite of excessive violence. It knows when to use it and it knows when to use it in a way that will just drive you up a wall because this film yeah. is not violent except for one extremely specific point. And it is very violent then for yeah, just a minute. It saves it all up. Yep. It is hard. The, it, the things that the Amy is writing about in her fake diary becomes, especially at the end of the fake diary, becomes the world that Nick has to live in at the end of the movie mm-hmm. because she talks about not being not being safe around him or feeling like she can't be safe, like she would feel safer if she slept with a gun. And it's these things that I thought about at the end of the movie when Nick was like going to sleep and when he was walked into the, you know, where the kitchen was in that scene I described a minute ago. Um, it's like these types of things would, it, it's, it's almost mirroring, you know, yeah. And, and what she thing, said. I think another thing that's really interesting is, she writes about Nick assaulting her in a fit of rage and she pushes him so far at the end, he does briefly assault her. And it, it is so interesting because he, he calls her a terrible word and she spins it right back around. And she's like, well, I'm that, that you married. And it is such a, uh, a heavy scene. Uh, like, because at the same time you're watching this, like it, it comes out of nowhere and he pushes her hard and he uses a really harsh word. And it just kind of shocks you. I know, I remember in the theater, um, people were really taken aback at that moment. And and she just finds a way to just spin it back around. And she's almost like not phased. 
He's like, I was like, I have planned for this at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's faced by literally anything. Any, that yeah, anything. <laughs> it's it's an incredible character, and I think that's what makes this movie so good. Is like a it's series speaking, of uncomfortable yeah. events. It's well directed. It's very uncomfortable. The one with Neil but, Patrick Harris. Yes, yeah. of course. And and he's in this. Excuse my cat. He's in this. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, I know you uh, specifically wanted to talk about this because I feel like this is something you always want to talk about whenever you're on. The score in this movie was excellent, I think. Um, it was. And I hope um, the Social Network Review gets an equal amount of time to talk about it, if not more. <laughs> but the score is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. At the time, uh, Trent Reznor was the only member of Nine Inch Nails. Now both of them are in that uh, industrial rock band. He made a hard pivot. At uh, this time, the first major film he did was Social Network, and then he's he's since teamed up with um, with uh, David Fincher. I think for every film, I'm not sure if they did make, but he did the next three. And it's such an ethereal, synthetic score that when it when it needs to rub you the wrong way, it absolutely knows how to do so. But when it needs to just be kind of cool and warm, it can do that as well. It it just creates this really haunting atmosphere that kind of fits the the film. And I don't have synesthesia. Um, I don't know how to say it. I probably butchered it, but like the music feels teal and the whole film is like teal. It just works. It works really well. <laughs> uh, just as a, uh, for the record, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did uh, compose the score for uh, the Mank. Mank. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is also the only movie he's done since Gone Girl. Yeah. I, I know he took a break. I think mm-hmm. after that. So he directed um, uh, several episodes of a TV show called Mindhunter. Uh, oh yeah. I needed house of cards and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, House of Cards was uh, before all that. Ah, but gotcha. since Gone Girl, that's Mindhunter and Mank is all he's done. Ah. But yeah, it's 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 got this really good feel. And um, sometimes Trent Reznor needs to kick in where with Atticus Ross needs to kick in with those that industrial roots. And like scenes like Desi's murder have this just like pulsing, driving, like like sawtooth tone that kind of also like as it fades in and out the the visuals fade in and out and it creates this really uncomfortable and settling effect it's really great if you are a writer and if you write darker things like i was writing a really heavy script once you put this on in the background perfect it's it's gonna come out so great it's perfect atmospheric music they're they're really popular now uh they did they did the music for soul actually yeah as well and watchmen the tv show um, yeah, they're, they they're really they're really good yeah i mean mm-hmm. they it makes me think what is 20 what do the 2020s hold for me yeah. you know is it uh, more I, industrial i don't know i'm very interested because what what they've done and and perhaps this is a discussion better suited for the social network but the typically you have these film scores that are all based on light motifs and motifs and and kind of orchestral pieces and this is two guys and logic just messing around with with tones and sounds and I know a lot of like purist uh, film compose, uh, composer enthusiasts really hate them. Like if you go on certain websites, you'll read reviews of their, their work and it's just endless trash. But I think they're really, really good at setting tone. And I think they do that just as good as, as some of the older stuff, even if this might not be as like thematically complex, it's still in a way just as detailed and just as like lush, I suppose, mm-hmm. as an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. it's exciting stuff uh, uh, well if uh, no one has anything else I think it's time we score this sucker so who wants to go first 
I'll do, do it. it. Oh, yep. All right. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie an 87 out of 100. All right. I um. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Uh, it was really engaging, and I think that the characters are very interesting. And as we all know, I like me a good character. <laughs> so that's that's what got me got me up to that. Right on. All right. Nice. Yeah, let me give it an eighty-six. This is a good movie, and I will. I will absolutely watch it again, probably more than once, because um, I love a movie that this, that's this gripping uh, <laughs> and that makes you look around the room at whoever else is around and go, what the heck? <laughs> um, so I definitely will watch it again. I um, Probably the, the main thing I don't like about this movie is the central theme that you <laughs> walk away with <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, happy marriages are a lie but you may as well just go along with it and pretend you're happy <laughs> like i'm not feeling that <laughs> yeah, or else this will happen yeah that's probably uh that's probably um not really what jillian flynn would want me to say in summary here so i'm probably just uh um trivializing it um I say that especially as someone who's never been married. I'm probably just trivializing what this movie is actually communicating. Mm. Um, but that did kind of just like that made me uneasy. So that's probably the main thing I didn't like about this movie. But yeah. still, I mean, that's a that's a mid to high B. This is a good movie. I'll watch it again for sure. Yeah, I, I think the characters have that takeaway. I don't know what the film you'd have to ask her. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, it's the feeling you get. <laughs> so it it may be more of a cautionary tale than what I yeah. just described. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I'm torn between two numbers, so I'll split the difference. I'll give this a 94 out of 100. I This is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, no film is perfect. And sometimes for me, and it might just be because I've seen it so many times, it kind of drags at certain times or I want to kind of check out. Um, Tyler Perry does good, but some some of his line deliveries rub me the wrong way. And it's kind of nitpicky. And I didn't really mention it in the main review because it's not really worth mentioning. But yeah, that's the only things that kind of knock it down from 100. This is an excellent film. Highly recommend it. If you're okay with this sort of thing and this sort of subject matter, if you're genuinely, you should be in a good place before starting this because it's a downer. But it's a really good film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually going to go a little bit uh, lower than Elijah did. I'm going to give this an 84. Um, I think this does everything that a good thriller should do. Uh, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It uh, does not tell you what's going to happen, um, or at least it keeps you interested enough in what is happening that you're wondering what is happening next. Uh, but like Elijah said, the message of this, I... Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it is a downer, and I don't particularly like the message that it sends out. Um, I think the gratuitousness is also a little much at times. That's not really what I look for in a movie. Um, and I just thought it was a little much, so I also knocked off a couple points for that. Um, if that is your sort of thing, I think it's a really good movie. I definitely think it is worth watching. I think it's a, a very gripping story. Um, but yeah. 84 sounds good. Uh, anyway, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, 
Barrel, barrel, barrel. Thank you. Uh, we get a final score of an 87.75. So, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Speaking of, uh, well, I feel like we've already been talking a little bit about it tonight. And I think Elijah kind of dropped the ball when he mentioned it earlier, but. Oh, sorry. Uh, you're Oops. good. I, I think I mentioned it last week too. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, we're talking about David Fincher again next week. Uh, we're going to be watching The Social Network, uh, released in 2010, I think, uh, with Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, some other folks. But yeah, should be a good time. Uh, Mike, thank you for being on this week. Thank you Have for fun. having me. I had a great time. All right. I'm glad you did. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Fighter Media to keep up with all the cool stuff we're doing. Uh, we might even have some cool stuff, some cool new stuff coming up here soon. Uh, so definitely be sure to uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, we have new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday night, or every Wednesday, every Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And I'm Michael. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.